So it is really good to, to see everybody, and we need to go ahead and bow our heads and prepare our hearts to worship through a study of God's Word. Um, we do want to remember Mr. Parrish and his family in our prayers today. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, and so uh, let's go ahead and, and prepare our hearts. Father, uh, thank you so much for this day, uh, for the beautiful weather. It's January, and yet it's nice and warm outside. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for this time that you give us together as uh, men and women uh, of faith. Um, thank you for this food that has been prepared for us. Uh, please bless those that are prepared it and use this food to nourish our body so that we can represent and live for you. And uh, thank you uh, for all the guys that are here. And each one of us here, um, all of us here in this room represent different struggles and, and different uh, life paths. And, and, and yet you've seen fit and your sovereignty to bring us all together. So thank you for that. And Father, we just ask you now that as we open up your word, as we uh, seek to know your truth, that you will help us to do just that. You promised us that your vo uh, word does not come back void. Um, you, you promised us that um, if we will seek you, we will surely find you. And so that's exactly what we're here to do today, Lord. We're here to seek you and to know you. So please help us to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, to, so for those of y'all that have not been a part of our group before, I, I see a couple of new faces. Uh, 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 yeah, Michael, you're not a new face. You're very old. He's very old. But uh, we're studying the life of Christ, and we're doing that through a harmony of the Gospels, which means we're going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're taking all of their stories, all of their accounts, and we're combining them together into one fluid, chronological story of the earthly ministry and life of Christ. So we know that Christ is eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Before the worlds were founded, he was, right? But he was born of a virgin and came to this earth and lived among us. Uh, and he came as a man. He had to be a man because it took a man to pay for our sins. But he had to be God because only God can rise from the dead, right? Only God can raise himself from the dead, I should say, uh, to be resurrected. And so Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is 100% man. And the gospel message proclaims that to us. It proclaims to us the good news. That's what the word gospel means. And so uh, uh, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, Jesus was going around proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we just finished up last week with the parable parables of the kingdom and today we're going to go back again and witness Jesus and his power and his uh, uh, authority over this world right over this world he is the creator so he can certainly have command over all of his creation and we need to see that and we need to recognize that all through his ministry um, when he came out of the water at his baptism, uh, what happened? Does anybody remember when he came out of the water at his baptism? God said, this is my beloved son. Okay, good. So Jesus is standing in the water, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven and anoints Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit comes from out of heaven fluttering like a dove and descends upon Jesus and anoints Jesus. Well, what does he anoint Jesus to do? To go out and proclaim the message and, and give him the power to do it. He's come to do, you see? And then, as Michael said, a voice from heaven, the voice from heaven said what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that's a very beautiful picture of the Trinity, is it not? Jesus is not a ventriloquist. He was not throwing his voice back up into heaven and having it come back down to us. It was God the Father speaking from heaven to 
God the Son and to the people there so they could be witnesses. And the power of God and the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus so that Jesus could go out and do what he was sent to do, which is to proclaim the kingdom and show the world that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the Christos. And when he came and did that, that's exactly what he did. And so, um, what are the ways that, what are the ways that Jesus shows that he is truly the Son of God? Can y'all think of some of those ways? What are some ways that Jesus shows that he is the Son of God? Good. That'd be the main thing. It would be his miracles. Not only that, but his understanding and grasp of God's word and God's truth, right? He, he, um, remember what the Pharisees and the Sadducees said when he went into the synagogue? He said, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, where did he get uh, this wisdom, right? He, he was amazing the people because he was teaching them with authority. Not authority as a scribe or a Pharisee, but as the authority of the Son of God speaking for his Father. And so Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And what, um, help us out, guys. What are the two reactions to his claims as Messiah? What are the two reactions? When he, okay, some people blaspheme him and curse him and say, right? Yeah. And what? Yeah, they, they, they were upset. Yeah, they were upset. They were angry. Um, when people are not in the truth, they do not appreciate truth, do they not? How many of y'all have ever had to deal with an intervention in your life? Your family called in everybody and intervened with you about the way that you were living your life. Right, man? Right? Now, is that a fun time? Is it fun to have all of your family and your friends come around and tell you how you've been living your life? No. It's good to know they care. Yeah, well, it is good to know they care, but it's a very it's a very uncomfortable situation. And the reality is that Jesus was putting the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of that day, into a very uncomfortable position. He was exposing their hypocrisy. He was exposing their lack of power of God. He was exposing that they were false. And it made them very mad. So, yes, people blasphemed the claim that he was the Messiah. They rejected the very proof that he was the Messiah. All of his miracles are doing what? They're proving exactly that he is who the Old Testament said he was going to be when he comes. The curing leprosy and healing the blind, right? And helping the lame to walk and causing the blind to see and causing the deaf to hear. That's all prophesied in the book of Isaiah. It's all prophesied in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, these are the things that he's going to do. And sure enough, Jesus came. He is the Messiah. He's doing exactly what the Old Testament prophesied that he would do. And yet the very people that had possession of the Old Testament couldn't see it. They reject. They rejected him. And so, that's exactly right. They were blinded by their own uh, desires. They were blinded by their own wills. They were blinded by sin. And so when Jesus came, he exposed the false. But not only was one of the reactions rejection and blasphemy, another reaction was what? That people repented and turned to him and believed. So there's one group of people that reject him, and there's one group of people that received him. How do you know if you're his child? You will receive him, you will believe him. If you are not his child, you will reject him, you will push him away. And there's no middle ground. There's no, well, I'm thinking about it. It's either you are his or you're not. And if you truly are his, if he truly died on the cross to save you, when the message comes, you will receive it, you will believe it, you will turn and embrace that message. Now, 
Uh, does that mean that there might be people that you know that, that he truly died to save that are not believers yet? Yeah, it certainly does, right? And that's when the, the weight and the onus comes on you because what did God tell you to do? He told you to go out and be salt and light to share the gospel with others so that they could know the truth that you know. And every person in this room, every one of you in this room, if you are a believer, the reason you are a believer is because God, through his spirit and through his sovereignty and his purpose and plan, placed people into your life to let you hear the truth. And between... That's a miracle in itself. God chose me. Yeah, of course it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah. And, And so through the power and preaching of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit... A person comes to receive and to believe him. And so how do you, again, I want to emphasize this. How do you know you're his child? Because you will believe him. You will receive him. And we can see our lives change and our hearts, our thoughts, sure. our wants change. Sure. So today what we're going to do is we're going to go and see three of Jesus' miracles. And in these three miracles, we're going to see Jesus express his power over the creation. Um, this is actually one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I, I of all of my classes that I teach, uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, and so uh, if I title the lesson today, I would call it uh, Demons, Diseases, and Death, Oh My. Right? <laughs> Demons, Diseases, and Death, Oh My. And so in this story today, we're going to see that Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has power over diseases. And Jesus has power over death. Now, why is that so important? Because the world that we live in right now is being inundated with all of those things. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, the spirit of Antichrist, and all of the false gods out there, all of the demons, and, and all of the, the evil in the unnatural realm or the natural supernatural realm around us is doing whatever they can to keep man blinded from the truth of God, right? So the demonic forces in this world are a reality. And the more and the more that uh, the kingdom of God is advanced, the more and more obvious the evil expressions of the devil are going to be advanced as well, right? Because he's trying to do whatever he can to put out the kingdom of God. But what does the Bible tell us? That the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is advancing on, and as it advances, the demonic forces in this world are raising their heads up and letting everybody know they're there. And so the demons are doing what they can to possess and to oppress people, to blind people, cause confusion and doubt, right? The, the, why do, when we look at the TV and we look at social media and we look at the world around today, it's hard to know who to believe anymore, isn't it, right? Yeah. Hard to believe. Well, we were just talking before class started about all these different speculations about science and medicine. Who knows anymore? Well, what does the Bible tell us? That the devil is the father of what? Lies. Lies. And so one of the things that he does is causes us to live in confusion. And one of the ways that he does that is through his 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 hierarchy of, of angels, of fallen angels. These filthy, evil, vile spirits, unclean spirits. What do we call them? Demons. And they are very real. And they possess people. Now, as far as for children of God, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the devil will not possess you, but the devil can certainly oppress a child of God. What does it mean to be oppressed? It means that he can play and manipulate with your mind and cause you to be depressed and cause you to be sad and cause you to not be able to live fully what God has intended for your life, you see? And he's going to do whatever he can to keep you down. It's kind of like an abusive spouse in a relationship. 
They want power and they want to keep that other person down. And it's about them and not you, you see. And so the devil's doing whatever he can to do that. So let's go ahead and get into our text. And we'll look first at the story of the fact that Jesus has power over demons. Now remember, with demons, death, and disease, all three of these things are a part of the natural created order. Are they not? Demons, diseases, and death are all a part of the created order. What do I mean when I say that, guys? They're all a part of the created order. What does that mean? They're all created by God. Very good. And so since they are of the created order, who controls them and has power over them? The creator. You see, the creator has control over his creation. So the, the old theologian from back in the day, Martin Luther, used to say it this way. Even the devil is God's devil. What does that mean? Is God happy about the devil doing the evil that he does? Right? um, He's God's creation. But he is God's creation, but when God created him, he created him what? Good. Every time that God created somebody, he said what? It is good, it is good, it is good. The devil turned away from God, so he became evil. And so the reality is, is even though the devil is running around doing all the evil that he's doing, even the evil that the devil is doing will one day glorify God. Now think so about he that. Knew, well, I mean, God knew everything before the foundation of the world, so he knew that the devil was going to fall. No doubt. And he knew that one day that the devil was going to inspire men to nail son, his son to the cross. He knew that. And the most wicked, heinous thing that's ever happened on the face of this earth is that the, the eternal, uh, only begotten son of the Father uh, was nailed and stripped naked on a cross and beaten and bruised and spit upon and... and and crucified, right? But through the most wicked, evil thing that ever happened in the world, God brought about the salvation of His people through that. So even with all that wickedness happening, even with all that wickedness taking place, God was not up in heaven pulling His hair going, oh no, this is getting out of control. Even with the most wicked expression of evil that there ever was that took place on the face of the earth, God was completely in control, and God was going to use that evil and turn it around for his people and for his good and for his glory. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. And so so when we see this world around us falling apart, and when we see our friends still caught up in drugs and alcohol, and we see our family and our friends being struggling with divorce and you sexual see, abuse. On and, the other side of the coin, you see the people who are not struggling, that trust in Jesus, and that glorifies God. Sure. But, but everybody struggles, do they not? And, and and so when we see this world around us and it feels like the world, when, when that tension is building on us and it feels like the whole world is falling apart, we need to understand that God is the one that created this world and it's not falling apart. The things of this temporary world are falling apart. Why? Because they're temporary and they're designed to do that. And so what does God want us to do? He wants us to look up. He wants to look to the eternal. He wants us to look to him. And so what does he do? He allows this world around us to be shaken up and falling apart right in our hands. Right? Like what's those dust in the wind? You know, like that. what happened? That's what happens. Like smoke. It just fades away. And so let's look at this passage because in this first one we're going to see where Jesus has power over demons. It says in Mark chapter 5 verse 1, They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he, that's Jesus, got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. 
because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. All right, so Jesus and them pull up on the bank uh, off of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret. They pull up on the bank, and when they land, they land near uh, uh, tombstones, right? What's in a tombstone? The graveyard. Kind of like over here in Thunderbolt, right off of the landing there. There's a big high bluff, and up on top of that bluff is what? Bonaventure Cemetery, the big giant cemetery out there, right? And so they pulled up their boat onto the bank and get out, and they're next to a cemetery, and all of a sudden this maniac comes running out of the tombs. He's naked and screaming and cursing, and and it gives us the description of this guy. Number one, it said that he was uh, dwelling among the tombs and that he had an unclean spirit. What do we call an unclean spirit? A demon. Why was he dwelling among the tombs? What's in a graveyard? Death. Death. Dead people. That's exactly right. And when Satan gets a hold of our life, he drives us towards death. Right? He drives us towards death. And and it, not only that, he was living in a graveyard. There are not a whole lot of folks living out in the graveyard, are they? Right? Even the homeless folks, they get under the bridge over there, but they don't go and live in a graveyard, do they? Even the homeless folks know that that's kind of spooky in there. That there's a bunch of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's but you see, the graveyard is a place where the dead are, and it's it's not a very comfortable place for people, uh, for a lot of people. And so um, the devil tries to drive him to the graveyard, and we find out that he's by himself. And at the end of the story, we're going to see where his where Jesus tells him to go back to his family, back to his home, and tell them what Jesus has done for him. But so, isn't it, isn't it also true that this island was like a place of taboo? So just just the journey over there took a lot of faith of the. No, that's no. Them. They're just going over to the uh, land of the. I thought it was known that people were possessed that were over there. They they were going they were going over there to minister. He was going over there, and it was the land of the Gadarenes, like it was it was half tribe of Gad. That people, there was Jewish people over there. I, I, it wasn't like Mystery Island or anything like that. No, I know, but it's just that it was a it was a well, they, not a place that a regular. Why did he go over there? He went over there to minister to this guy. Like right. that, that was a part of God's plan for him to go there. And so, one of the things that we see in this story is is that he is separated from his family and his loved ones. And that's another thing that the devil always does. He tries to separate us from people that love us, from people that will hold us accountable. Right. When you're not living the right way, you don't want to be around your family, do you? You'd rather sit in your apartment and eat microwave popcorn on Christmas and watch Netflix than go be with your family and your loved ones. Why? Because when we're not living the right way, when we're living the wrong way, the last thing that we want in our lives is accountability. We don't want people holding us accountable for our actions. If you ever get into a situation where you start slipping and sliding and start finding yourself wanting to avoid people, then there's probably something going on that's causing you to want to avoid people, right? That should be a clear signal that I'm in a wrong frame of mind. And so this man has been separated. It said he was living in the tombs. No one was able to bind him. What did that mean? He was out of control. He was a madman. He was a maniac. Not even with chains. So he had supernatural power. It said he had often been bound with shackles and chains. He had torn them apart and broken them to pieces. And no one was able to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. 
I work in the mental health industry as a chaplain, and I can tell you that one of the major uh, things that almost everybody in that place has in common is self-harming tendencies. Mm-hmm. Constantly cutting themselves with something. What they, well, I think that the pain on the inside, they're trying to make it go away. And so they figure if they can make themselves hurt on the outside, then they won't have to pay attention to the pain on the inside. I think that's a part of it. Um, a part of it is is um, that the, 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 the devil's got hold of their minds and it's causing them to hate themselves. Like they loathe them. It's self-loathing. They hate themselves. Why do they hate themselves? Because they're created in the image of God. And so what do we think of God when we're rebelling against him, when we're not living the right way? We hate him. And so we'll destroy anything that reminds us of who God is. And as a man being created in the image of God, that's one of the things we do. I think another thing, we think about the story of Cain and Abel, right? What did Cain do to his brother? He killed him. And so it's like um, a lot of people are afraid. They're not going to go out and attack other people, but they'll attack themselves. Because, again, we're reminded when they look in the mirror, they're reminded of the Imago Dei, of the image of God. And we hate. And when we're living in rebellion, when we hate God, when we're lost and, and don't know Him, we hate anything that reminds us of God. And so a part of that's all a part of it. And another part of that, remember uh, what Jesus said about the devil. You are of your father the devil. He was a what? Murderer and a liar from the beginning. Right? So when someone is being influenced by the devil, what are their tendencies? Lying and death. And so this man is, is in a bad way. Now it says, he's, verse 6, Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have to do with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. So what does the demon refer to Jesus as? The Son of the Most High God. So even the devil recognizes the authority of Jesus. That's more than can be said for most Christians. Right? That's more than can be said for most people that proclaim a love and a, and a faith in Christ. He calls Him the Most High. And unfortunately, we as human beings in our fallen nature and in our rebellion to God... And He fell down before Him. Yep. Yeah, and, it, and even in our rebellion, even in our sin, who is usually Most High... Me, right? Mm-hmm. But this devil has to recognize, he has to bow before the authority of Jesus. He said, do not torment me, for he had been saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. So the unclean spirit did not want to come out of the man, and it was a torment for Jesus to command him to come out. He didn't want to leave. He had a nice, comfortable home there, you see. And he said to him, uh, uh, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a legion back in that day was an army of 6,000 Roman soldiers. So what is this demon or these demons implying when they're speaking to Jesus? There's a bunch of us in here. Like, right? There's a whole uh, pile of demons in there. Now, can that be the case? Can somebody be possessed by more than one demon? Yeah. yeah we, we even saw uh, the, uh, Jesus said, said get clean, get one demon cast out and then clean up clean the house up and then that one demon will come back and he'll bring back a bunch of his friends waiting to live there right 
Uh, if you've ever noticed, even in um, in, in our own walks and in, in our own that's exactly right. You you even notice in our struggles in drugs and alcohol, you notice that a lot of times when people relapse, their relapse is worse and it gets worse, yes. and then they're harder to reach the next time, are they not? You see. And so um, there was a large herd of swine. Or it, he said, "What is your name?" And it said. Um, the demon in verse 10, he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Alright. So it says, I implore you, I implore, he, he was imploring him, he was begging. What does that mean? The demon is imploring, he's asking, he's begging of Jesus he not to. Yeah, he, he's right. under the same rule. He's under Christ. Good. He's under his authority and he has to recognize that. So there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountains, and the demons implored him. That's the fourth time we've seen him implore or beg Jesus. He implored him and said, Send us unto those swine so that we may enter them. And it says in verse 13, this is a really important line, Jesus gave them what? Permission. permission. Jesus gave them permission, and and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea, and about 2,000 of them, they were drowned in the sea. So Jesus gave them permission. So in this story, we've seen this man come to Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet. Now we're going to see that three times in this story. We're going to see the demon-possessed man fall at Jesus' feet. We're going to see a woman with a disease fall at Jesus' feet. And we're going to see a man who has a daughter who is about to die come and fall at Jesus' feet. I have a question about the swine and the unclean spirits. Um, He gave them permission, which they needed permission to do anything from from Jesus. And then the swine drowned. But the spirits are spiritual, right? They're, They're on a different realm than we are. Did they die with the with they so they they were without a home, without a place then? Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. Uh and so you would assume that they went and found somewhere else to, to inhabit. Right. But what what they asked Jesus was do not do not send us to the place of torment. See, hell was created for the yeah, devil and his the demons. That's where they're from, so they didn't want to. No, they're not there. from hell, that's where they're going. Oh, the demons? They're not. The no, the devil's not down and sitting on a chair down in like a fiery place called hell well, and, so and the bossing them. The demons are fallen angels that have been cast down to this okay. earth. They've been cast out of heaven. Okay. And so they're crawling around on this earth trying, they're being used by Satan. And they're and not they're, wanting, okay. And they don't, and so hell, the, the place of eternal torment, was created for their destruction and for the devil's destruction. And he knows he's going there and they know they're going there. And they're basically saying, don't send us there before the time. Like, it's not time for us to go there yet. We still got other things we want to and do there's here. No, redemption no, there's none at all. And they will not repent. And they know that hell's for them. And they're like the bad guy in the movies we watch. Once the bad guy knows he's about to die, what does he do? He always sets the bomb off to blow everybody else up with him. He's like, if I'm going to go, I'll take the rest of you with me. And that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to destroy you. He's come to seek and to kill and to, and to, and to destroy and to take and to drag us with him. Thank you for clarifying that. So it said, um, uh, the herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, uh, 
sitting down clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became afraid. If anybody here's got an ESV, if you got an ESV model, I, um, I think it says, and they come to read that verse, um, verse fifteen, because I think it says had had. Yeah. Read it again. Read it. it. Does. Uh, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, yeah, so I love it, the way they phrase that. He like had had, right? But it's correct. Right. Where, where, was, was I a drug abuser? Yes, I was. I had had a problem with drugs, but I don't anymore because I've replaced those desires with Jesus, you see. Or Jesus has replaced those desires with him is a better way to say that. And so this man now has clothes on, right? You notice how the devil's always trying to get folks out of their clothes, trying to get people naked, (laughs) right? You notice that? Well, in the Bible, what is that? To be naked. It means to be exposed and and your weaknesses revealed. What do they do to Jesus on the cross? They stripped his clothes off and made him naked. And what's the devil trying to do to all the people down on Saturday nights downtown? Trying to get them out their clothes. Trying to get them to shame themselves. You see? And that's what he does. He tries to expose us and show our weaknesses and things like that. And so now, what does it say? The man has clothes on. He had had the demons. He is in his clothes. And now he is in his right mind. Right? What does that mean? God has done a work in this man's life. And not only has he done a work in this man's life, but it is obvious to the man and it is obvious to everybody in that city that he has done this. They use that terminology again later on with the, with the woman. Had had, had, had yeah. yeah. Good. Very good. And, and so what is the point I'm trying to make here? When Jesus does a work in your life, it is obvious. It is. We need to understand that. It's not something secret and, and, and something you've got to scratch your head and guess whether he's done something for you or not. You'll know it. And you know what, I, what and I I've don't, come across is other people notice it more than I did. Sure. Mm-hmm. They saw the change in me and commented to me about it. I had to step back and think about it a minute. That's exactly right. They going. noticed it before I did and more so. So... When God doesn't work in our life, not only do we notice it, but the people around us notice it, right? What do we usually notice? We notice when somebody gets a haircut. We notice when uh, they get a little fatter or a little skinnier. You know, you know, have you lost weight or did you gain some weight? Like that becomes, that's obvious. When we don't see somebody for a couple of weeks and they drop 20 pounds or they gain 20 pounds, we notice that right away, right? Why? Because we use our eyes to judge people. And the reality is these people realize that this man is not the same one that had just hours before that been running around in that tomb. In a graveyard screaming and cutting himself. We need to remember that. When God does a work in your life, when Jesus does a work in your life, not only will it be noticeable to you, but it will be noticeable to others. And what is the point of that? He wants the world to see the change. He, so what's happened? Well, again, if you go all the way back to the beginning, Jesus said, let there be light and the chaos dispersed is what Genesis tells us. That God spoke uh, order out of chaos. And the chaos disappeared and order came. And that's exactly what happens when God changes and regenerates your heart. Where there was chaos and disorder, He brings order and peace. Right? Where there was death, He brings life. Where there was lies, He brings truth. Where there was hate, He brings love. Uh, where there was death, He brings life. And it's obvious. It's noticeable. It's as noticeable as the difference in spring and summer. 
or fall and winter, except around here in Georgia, that's not too noticeable. Right? <laughs> fall and winter kind of. Right. So, but the, it's as obvious as the seasons. It's as obvious as day and night, and we need to see that. So, a couple of things that we need to see in that story: the demons begged, the demons begged, the demons begged. Jesus gave them permission. Why am I focusing on that? Because it shows us who is truly in control of the demonic realm around us. And he gave them permission for their wants, which ultimately was not good for them. That's exactly right. They needed his permission That's exactly to mess right. up yet once again. And so it's very important for us to see that and even in all the chaos, and even all the disorder and disarray around us, even in the, the way that this world is on a course for destruction, as Paul put it, even though this world is on a course for destruction, God is still using that to glorify himself and bring glory to him. You see? And we need to understand that. And, and prepare a place for it. People. And and so first we see the demon. Now we're going to see diseases. So it says this verse. Um, well, let's finish up. The, the, it said uh, uh, verse fifteen. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Isn't that funny? They're frightened of Jesus now. They were frightened of that of man. man. Yeah. Now they're frightened of Jesus. Why? Because they've seen what kind of power he really has. He turned this man's life around. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they begin to implore him. So now the people are begging Jesus. And what are they begging him? Leave this region. Get out of here. So what is their reaction to Jesus' power and expression as Messiah? Yeah, get away from us. We don't need you. We need our bacon. We need our ham sandwiches. Right. Get away. Get away from here. We would rather have we would rather have our pigs and our swine. We would rather well, that our, was devastating yep. to lose all their pigs. Yeah, we would rather live in these graveyards and cut ourselves. We would rather you go and go somewhere else. Get away from here. So there's rejection in that. But to the one man, it said, um, as he was getting into the boat to leave, the man who had been demon possessed was imploring him. This man is begging. What does he want to do? He wants to go with him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what amazing things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So what the man wanted to go with Jesus, and what did Jesus say? No, I want you to go back home to your hometown, and I want you to allow all your family and friends to see what I've done for you. So just his living testimony, just the fact that 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 was that crazy guy that used to run around here cutting himself. You know, that's that crazy guy that used to run around here with no clothes on. That's that crazy man that used to sit around and scream at night in the middle of the night for no reason. Yeah, everybody sees the whole Yeah, he's, he's, yeah and he wasn't the only one from where I read over here that Mark not, mentions only one man. But yeah, in, the Matthew, in the Matthew account, there's two. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so what that could indicate is, is that there was a lot of demonic activity in that town, in that right? Just like Savannah, right? Just Savannah. <laughs> Seems like every port town, every port town, there's always a bunch of demonic stuff going on, right? All right, so... Um, Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed on the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet. All right, here's somebody else falling at Jesus' feet. Now, what are these people doing when they fall at his feet? What is that called when you fall at their feet? Okay, recognizing his authority. All right. Another thing that they're actually doing is they're actually worshiping him, aren't they? 
They're worshiping him. And if you notice, Jesus never tells anybody to get up. Yeah. Now, when people fall down in front of the angels, when the angels would come to people and scare the living daylights out of them, because that's what it said happened, the angels would come and the people would, uh, the angel always, first thing they always say is what? Do not be what? Afraid, right? They're terrified because it's this supernatural angel that comes to them and the angel says, do not be afraid. I'll come bearing good news. But with Jesus, they're not afraid to come to him, are they? Now, why? Why is that? He is God and he is holy, holy, holy. But he is also clothed in human flesh. And he has made himself a man so that he could come and relate to us. And so that we could relate to him. And it's more than us just relating to him and him clothing himself in human flesh. He's he's felt hunger. He's felt when he came as a man, he knows our emotional feelings, our physical needs. He knows what it feels like. No doubt. And it uh, it tells us that in Philippians that he can he can sympathize with us because he's been yeah. through what we've been through. That's what I meant. But he he make but remember if he. A lot, he, you can't see him in all his glory. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration. We just did that. Didn't we do that just a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. With, with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Peter and, his, and, and uh, James and John were there. And they saw Jesus in all of his, uh, in his glorified state. And they were afraid. And Peter said, let's make a, a booth and worship you and Moses and Elijah. And then God's voice from heaven said, what? This is my son. Worship him and him alone. Like that's another time that his father spoke from heaven to Jesus, and and so uh, Jesus clothes himself in humanity because our eyes and our sinful ways we would never be able to be in his presence. Couldn't look at him. Yeah. And so when this man falls down at Jesus' feet, now remember Jesus is Jewish, right? So does Jesus know the Ten Commandments? Yes. Yeah, he's the one that gave him the Moses on Mount Sinai. He definitely knows him. He's the one that wrote him with his finger in the stone. So he knows them better than anybody because he's the author of them. But what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And what is the second commandment except for Michael? Michael, the Catholic Bible's got a different way of saying the second uh, commandment. Uh, what, so what does the second commandment say? You, no, it says you shall have, you shall not make any images or idols or anything and bow down and worship them, right? Right. So what, what the, um, the Catholic Bible does, it takes that part out and it takes the ninth commandment, the commandment against committing adultery and, and it splits it in half and makes that the other part. So, uh, you're not supposed to bow down and worship. Yeah. You can look at it. It's just, look at the Dewey Ranch Bible. That's the Catholic Bible. You can well, what look does it say in the place? Oh. I, I, I don't want to quote it verbatim because I would mess it up, and I don't want to misrepresent the Catholic people. You can read it for yourself. Yeah, you can you can you can go read it for yourself. But um, they they skew that. They skew. That. But um, so what does it mean to bow down and worship? It means to to worship and honor something. That is not God. That's I mean that's the purpose is you shall have no other gods before me, and so don't take anything in the creation and make it an image of the Creator. Don't try to put God into a box that you can understand. Don't make Him a fish or a sun or a moon or a star or the clouds or or or, or, or people, right? And so it's it's idolatry. It's 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 an it's making an idol. And they and remember, even right after he gave him the Ten Commandments and Aaron and they and he came down from the mountain, what was Aaron doing? They had already done made a statue of a cow and they was all dancing and worshiping the cow. And so I don't get that. 
So Jesus, well, we all have idols in our I know life. we do, but I mean, they've seen so many miracles. I mean, I'd probably... You'd be know. right there with them, Lori. You'd just like me. <laughs> You'd be right there with them. I would no, be too. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> yeah. where's Moses? <laughs> so, what you doing up there? So when, when you think about it, when you think about it, these people are falling at Jesus' feet, and they're worshiping him. And yet he doesn't tell them to get up. Now, he knows the commandments. And if he is simply a man, if that's all he is, is a man, then what should he be saying to those people? Get up. Get up. I'm a man. You don't worship me. And that's what we the worship. angel said. Right. Well, the, and several times. The angel, angel say that. Get up. You don't worship. We'll worship God alone. But one of the things that you'll see throughout the, the, the New Testament and the gospel proclamation in Jesus' life is people fall down and worship him at his feet. And he always receives their worship. It's amazing to think about. Yes, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a quiet and obvious way that he's claiming his deity. He's worthy of our worship. All right? And so uh, she, she, this woman had said, the woman, oh, verse 23, he implored him earnestly. There's somebody else imploring again. All these people are begging Jesus. Imploring him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. How many times do we go to church? And how many times do we have a class here and somebody raise their hand and say, So-and-so is very, very sick. Will you please pray for him? Pray for right? And, when it, and especially when it hits close to home. Yes. When it's our kid or our mom. Like, that, like That's when it gets even more important. And it shouldn't be. It should be. That's right. You, you should pray no matter who. That's is. right. It and especially if it's me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If I get some bad medical results, now I really need you to be praying. You see? Yeah. Right? So we prayed for Michael a couple weeks ago with his heart. Right? Michael, was you praying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not fun to go under a knife and get your chest cut open, you see? And so in times like that, we understand our need for God. And we understand our need for prayer. And uh, so this man, his daughter, is about to die. And he comes to Jesus and begs him to come and lay your hands on her so that she will be made well. So what that shows us is this man has a faith that Jesus can heal his daughter. All right? So it says next, uh, he went off with him and a large crowd was following and pressing on him. So him and the Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, are walking together to go to his house so that Jesus can lay his hands on his daughter and heal her. And then what happens, it says, a woman, verse 25, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. There's that had had again, right? Yeah. What does that mean? She don't have it anymore. What does it call when you've been sick and you don't have it anymore? Past tense. Past tense. Yeah. You're cured, right? When you've been sick and you're not sick anymore, you're healthy. You've been cured. And so Jesus is going to cure this woman. She had a a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and spent all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather grew worse. How much money do we spend every year in this world on health and science and figuring out uh, vaccines and, and cures? Billions. Billions and billions. The people that develop these vaccines are planning on making billions, not millions, billions. Think about it. There's 7 billion people in the world. And if they were to sell those vaccines for $10 a piece, which they're not. They get it free. The government's paying them. 
Lori, somebody's paying. Yeah, Your taxes are going to be eventually what they. All right. Now, the reality is this: those those vaccines aren't running ten dollars. They're not charging ten dollars a piece for them. They're probably charging like a hundred dollars a piece for them. All right. So what is a hundred times seven billion? Seven hundred billion. You see, there's money. There's money in this stuff. There's money in medicine, guys. I, and I and I say this in all honesty and all sincerity. I don't have any insurance. I'm not afraid of getting sick. I, I'm going to get sick. I'm nauseous at what I'm going to be in debt to once I get a really bad disease. Because I will get one. I'm going to something's going to get to me someday. And I, it makes me nauseous to think how indebted I'm going to be to the medical people. Because I don't have insurance. And, you're, you're and not, so, you don't want so, insurance? So, well, I mean, so if I get insurance and I get a disease and it costs me a million dollars in medical bills, um, I'm never going to be I'm never going to be able to pay off just my part. I'm going to have to pay 15% of a million dollars. That's $150,000. I'm never going to be able to pay that off. So I'm going to be in debt. If I'm going to be in debt, I might as well just be in debt to a million. Why be in debt to just 150000 <laughs> You see, so the, the because you can get Obamacare. <laughs> yeah, get Obamacare. Yeah, yeah. What worries me is that the same people that are making the viruses are making the children. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's reciprocated. Yeah, and so uh, it, it. This woman has spent everything that she had on medicine and physicians. She spent she spent her life saying, I, I think about the people that I work with all the time. And when you go and stay in a mental hospital for just just if you go there for seventy two hours and you stay there, it's it's ten or fifteen thousand dollars. It's like five thousand dollars a day to stay there. And and most of the people that are in there don't have that kind of money to pay that off when they come out. They're just it, it, it's just going to be debt and more debt. And and the reality is, is most of the time when they get out of there, they're not any better. It's not it's not curing anything. Sometimes they catch something from being there. Yeah, dude, sometimes you get more sick while you're there, right? And so the reality is, is this woman has done everything within her power to be cured of this disease she had. What is this disease she had? It said she has a hemorrhage of blood. I would assume and guess that this woman has been on a monthly cycle for 12 years, right? Now, what is that monthly cycle a reminder of? It's a reminder of the original curse, isn't it? What did Adam? What did God tell Eve? In pain you will bring forth children. And your desires will be to your husband, and he will rule over you, right? Miserable, miserable curse brought upon Eve for biting into the fruit. And, uh, right? And so every 28 days or so, a woman is reminded that she ate the fruit. But with this woman, it lasted for, it had lasted for 12 years. Now we giggle and laugh about that. Now, Lori's not laughing about it too much, because she knows that it's not something that laughing matter, right? But, but, but think about this. But think about this. Uh, this woman is, ceremonially unclean according to the the Levitical laws she's not allowed to go to the temple and pray and be forgiven for her sins she's unclean she can't she can't sleep in the same bed with her husband because she's unclean according and and there's no relief from that for 12 years yeah yeah and so this woman is in a mess she has been ostracized from society all around her for years and years she's not had any action interaction with people and look what it says it says um, after hearing about Jesus, that's a very important line that a lot of a lot of people skip over. What does the Bible say? Salvation comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, "I if I could just touch his garments, I will get well." So what's happened? This woman has heard about the message of Jesus and who he is, and how he's going around healing people. 
And she had faith. And she had faith. So by hearing about Jesus, she believed in Jesus. And how do we know she believed in Jesus? Because she went and found him. She went and found him, and she went through all she could to get to his garment. Yeah. That couldn't have been easy. And she said, uh, it said, she, she touched his garment and said, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded was proceeding from him uh, had power proceeding from him had gone forth he turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments my Bible says he immediately turned about so he knew right then when it happened yeah he proceeded, it said he proceeded that power had gone out of him so when he touched that woman his healing power came out of him and she was healed and it said his disciples said what do you mean you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you're asking us who touched me so what's Jesus saying Jesus said, hey, somebody just touched me, and his disciples are going, duh, there's a crowd, like people are, we're in the middle of a crowd, of course people are touching you, everybody's touching you, but there was something different about the way that this woman touched him and the way that the crowd was touching him, what was the difference? She touched him in she faith. She needed something, and the crowd, the crowd was just, you know. Good. She touched him in faith. She yeah, believed, she, she had faith. She heard about Jesus, and she believed in Jesus, and so her touch was a touch of faith. Now it says this. The woman fearing and trembling, uh, he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So after all of those years of spending money on physicians and doctors and trying everything she could think of to get cured of her disease... All it took was what? Right. Her hearing about Jesus and her believing in Jesus and her coming to Jesus. And she found the healing that this world couldn't give her. And, and, and it's very important to see that because he said while he was still, uh, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your uh, peace. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So what did he say? Your faith has made you whole. Now, it's very important for us to see this because the faith that Jesus is talking about is not the same kind of faith that George Michael is talking about. you got to have faith, faith, faith. Right? That's not what he's talking about. Her faith was in something that was true. Her faith was in the very object of truth. Who is truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life and so what was her faith based on it was based on jesus and so the reason that she was healed was not her power of believing but the power she was believing in let me say that again because that's super duper important she was healed not because of her power to believe but the power she was believing in you see, I can go stand on top of a building and say, I believe with all of my heart that I can fly. And if I jump off of that building, I believe I can fly. I I can fly. <laughs> right? Well, when I jump off that building, I am going to fall to the ground and die. Why? Because gravity works every time. Gravity is a law of God, and God does not bend that law for me and my beliefs. You see? So... When I stand on top of that building and believe, now I can believe with all of my heart that I can fly. I could have ate some magic mushrooms and truly think inside my head that I can fly. But is my belief going to give me wings? No, I'm still going to fall to the ground and die. Why? Because I put my faith 
in something that was not true. So, my faith has to be in Jesus. My faith has to be in His promises. And it's not how much faith I have, but who I have faith in that heals me. And the reason I say that is because we live in a world today where there's preachers out there that tell you, well, the reason you're sick is because you don't have enough faith. And they'll tell you that if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And then they go to a funeral, and when the person that they told, uh, if they just had faith, uh, they'd be healed and they're dead, what is he going to say at the funeral? What, what is going to be the obvious? They didn't have faith. They didn't have faith. That's why they died. No, the reason they died is because it was God appointed time for them to come home. You see? And so our faith always has to be in what is true. That is so important for us to see, guys. Right? So let me say that one more time and make sure everybody grasps that. She was not healed because of the power of her faith. She was healed because of the power that she had faith in. It's the object of her faith and not her faith that healed her. So when Jesus said, your faith has made you whole, what is he saying? Your faith in me has made you whole. Why? Because I'm the one that has the power to heal you. She heard about Jesus and she came to him and she was healed. That is so important for us to see. Your faith has to be based on something that is true or it is not faith at all, any kind of faith at all. It's poor faith. All right. Last thing. So uh, he's healed the man of the demons. Basically, with the touch, he's healed this woman of a disease, right? And now think about the guy. Think about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus has now stopped and has taken time to talk with this woman about her disease and being healed. What do you think that Jairus' attitude is towards that woman and Jesus stopping and talking to her? Get out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, move. Well, we got a place to go. My daughter's dying. We ain't got time to sit and talk to a silly woman. And we need to understand that God's time is always the right time. And that when God is answering, is God going to answer Jairus' prayer? Well, spoiler alert, yes. He's going to answer it, spoiler alert. But the reality is, when God answers our prayers, when God answers a prayer for you, it's not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect everyone around you. And God is always going to answer prayers in the way that they're best for all. My and, salvation and, affected my whole family, sure. friends. And, sure. And so when God answers a prayer for us, it's going to be for our good and His glory. And he, it's not going to be just for our good. Right. He's going to get the glory out of it. And so when He answers prayers for you, it's going to affect everyone around you. And we need to understand that. It's not just about me. It's about Him. All right? And so... Uh, He said, while he was still speaking, this is verse 35 of Mark 5, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue and the officials to the, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Man, that's very nice bedside manner. Listen, your daughter's dead. Stop bothering Jesus. That's That's a nice way to come up and greet somebody. Hey, your daughter's dead. Leave Jesus alone. Why trouble the teacher any further? Yeah. But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. All right? Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. That's something you can write down on the inside of your forehead. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Believe in what? 
in Jesus. Not the world, not your circumstances, not your your attributes and who you are, but believe in God. Yeah, because the world will let you down. Yep. And he allowed not no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now they came to the house of the synagogue officials, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. People weeping and wailing. That's what people do when there's a funeral, especially if it was a little kid like that. That's a terrible thing, right? When, when little children suffer and hurt, it hurts us too. So they're all crying and weeping. Now, it, he entered in and he said to them, Why are you making this commotion and why do you weep? The child has not died but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them out, he took the children's father and mother and his own companions and entered into the room where the child was. So here's Jesus. He's in the room. And what did he tell the people? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And what did the people all do? They laugh at him. What is that laughing a picture of? Unbelief. Scoffing. What do these people believe? She's dead. Why do they believe she's dead? Anybody want to answer that? Why do they believe that she is dead? She's dead. That's exactly right, Michael. It's, it's, it's that simple. She is dead. But to Jesus, what did he say? She's just asleep. Now, I'm not here today to profess you soul sleep. You don't, your soul won't just go to sleep when you die and stay in a sleeping state until the resurrection. That's not what happens, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and you're wide awake. You're praising Him. Uh, you're around the throne of God, praising the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So she is dead, but in Jesus' eyes, she's just asleep. Well, why? Well, for for one thing, He knows He's fixing to raise her. He knows she's fixing to come back to life. And, and another thing is, in God's eyes, when we die, it's kind of like... So her soul it's, wasn't. Her body might have been sleeping until he <clears throat> raised her back. No, her body was already up in heaven. Her soul was already her up in heaven. Her body was they, asleep. Right. Yeah, and and they, that's what it looks like when somebody dies, right? Yes. You ever seen a little kid go up to a, in a great in a, in a funeral service? What do they do? Wake up, Poppy. Wake up. Wake up, Granddaddy. Like they can't, they don't grasp it. And the person that's in that casket, well, not nowadays with all this curing and formaldehyde and all that stuff, they don't look really natural at all. When people say that to me, they say, "Oh, he looks so natural." No, no, he looks dead. He looks, <laughs> he looks stiff, and I know people do and it, almost yeah. every time. And, and he looks like his eyes have been closed shut, and it looks, it looks like he's got too much makeup on, and he would never have wore makeup in his whole life, right? You see, they're dead. They really are dead, and they look like they're dead. But when someone first dies, it does look like they just kind of doze off to sleep. If and, and, when they first die, right, yeah. right. And so, in in God's eyes, they are just going to sleep. They take one breath, they go to sleep, and when they wake up, their next breath is in their eternal home. They're awake again. They just doze off to sleep. But So this this girl is really dead. But when he says that she's just asleep, what do all the people do? They laugh. And so what does Jesus do with the scoffing? It says he kicked them all out in the house, took James and John and Peter, his three closest disciples, and the mom and dad, and they walk into the room. Now, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, uh, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. All right, so he was speaking Aramaic. Now, one of the languages Jesus spoke, we're pretty sure he probably spoke Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. But he walked into the room, he grabbed a little girl's hand and said, hey, little girl, get up in Aramaic. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astounded. So what's the, the state in the room? Complete awestruck. <clears throat> 
And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said to them uh, that something should be given to the little girl to eat. So we say, hey, feed that little girl. <laughs> you know, she's been she's, she's been sick. I mean, now she's she's got an appetite, right? That that would be one thing. Give her something to eat. She's probably got an appetite now. Why? Because God has healed her. Jesus has healed her. So in our story today, we do have to wind now because we're literally like a minute over. <clears throat> we need to understand that God is in control, and we need to understand that His Son Jesus is God in the flesh, and that His Son has power over all the creation. And so there is nothing going on in your life that is so out of control that God can't control it. And what do we need to do? Number one, we need to recognize that He is God. We need to recognize that He is in control. And we have to stop depending upon ourselves and our circumstances and our situations, right? Uh, we have to come out of the graveyard. We've got we to gotta quit living that way and we've got to come to Him. And we have to bow before Him and honor Him as God and who He is. And we have to recognize that He is the God that is in control of any situation that is going on in our life. And simply with His spoken word, He can heal us. He can fix us. He can protect us. He can save us. He can watch over us. He can empower us. He can give us all that we need to glorify Him. And we need to learn to trust Him in that. And, and, and again, these stories uh, almost are fairy tale esque aren't they? But they're just as real as me and you sitting here right now, if not more. Because one day me and you won't be sitting here anymore. But those, those, one day you'll be able to go to heaven and you'll be able to talk to that demoniac and what Jesus did for him. And one day you'll be able to talk to Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and that little 12-year-old girl that was raised from the dead. And then you'll be able to ask her what it was like to be dead, right? She didn't Notice she didn't go make a novel and sell a, a $10 million novel about how it was to go to heaven and come back again. Right? Neither did that ladder. That's exactly right. And, and uh, so we need to understand that this is real and that God is real and that his promises are real and that he always keeps his promises. So we need to be like these people here. They come to the feet of Jesus and they find everything that they need in this life and the next. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love and your life and your light and your truth. Thank you for being uh, the God over all of creation. And I pray that you will help each of us in this room, like these people here in the story today, to trust you as our creator and to come to your feet and bow before you and recognize that you are a God who is in control. And that there's nothing, no demons, no diseases, no death, nothing in this life uh, that can keep us from you and your glory and your goodness. So please help us to know those things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.